0: and 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 welcome to it, Inside the Yard. Thank you so much for being with us. A couple of Orioles broadcasters, Brett Hollander, Jeff Arnold, Coming up on the program, we're going to talk about the upcoming draft. And as Jeff adequately says, it's the Super Bowl right now for a lot of Orioles fans or World Series or all those things roll into one, the Preakness. Brad Selick, the really the head of amateur scouting for the Orioles, he will join us coming up. We're just weeks away from that. And then we'll talk some minor leagues with Steve Molesky from MassInSports.com. And before we get to Brad Sealick, Jeff, the week that was for Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini, uh, the beat goes on for that group, and I think it's pretty clear for us that Cedric Mullins is the best center fielder right now in the American League. He should obviously be at the All-Star Game, and I think Trey Mancini should be as well.
1: Yeah, Dan Connolly had a great article as we taped this where he says that Trey Mancini should be in the home run derby, and I would say that if Mancini isn't in the home run derby, you should probably have a the guy they call parking lot said in the home run derby. Yeah. I, I think that that would be really fun to watch because everybody talks about Cedric Mullins and the home runs that he hits, but... The distance that he's gotten on a bunch of the home runs and the home runs he's gotten left on left, but you know I, I agree. I think it would be really cool to have Trey Mancini in the the home run derby. He had his 100th home run hit in an Orioles uniform. You and I were calling that game on Sunday where he did it against the Blue Jays. And this is a guy that was halfway through his uh, cancer treatments at, at this point last year, and now he's on the verge of making an All Star team. And you know we talked about how great it is for him to just be out there. Uh, but for him to be an all-star, you know, what a, what a story that would be.
0: And also, baseball, and it's a good thing, during the World Series and All-Star Game, during their biggest events, they have this stand-up to cancer push, which they have been really public with. It's done great work for raising awareness and money and, and really putting faces uh, to cancer and those who have survived and those who have tragically not. And here's a guy – who's one of the better players in your game, who's deserving of an all-star wound? He's been the top five in RBIs for most of the season in the American League. He's a power hitter. Like, how do you not connect him to that event in the aftermath of what he's been through? That, to me, is just missing. It's swinging and missing if you can't get Trey Mancini to Colorado. I think baseball needs a a good story. And I think Trey Mancini, in addition to the fact that he's deserving
1: of being an all-star, Um, it would be a a great PR boost for the game right now because what's the thing that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks? It's, well, pitchers are going to be examined for substances, and now we're starting to see pitchers get checked like they're going through TSA about it, and it's just become the the talk of the game and who's using this and who's doing that and speculation and just just a bunch of stuff that isn't really great for the game. It might be, you know, for at least a a time, entertaining to watch as as this stuff goes on in the field. It might give you a laugh, but – I mean, I, I don't think that's something that's, that's super positive. And I think that baseball needs some positive PR right now. And I, I think having Trey Mancini there, in addition to the fact that he should be there is another good reason to send him to Colorado and to put him in the Derby.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I've been a little nervous about Mullins being there. Just, I don't want anything to mess up with his swing right now. He's just in such a great place swing wise and mentally. And I do believe we'll see Ryan Mountcastle in a home run Derby uh, sooner rather than later and to a few all-star games of his own. And, what a display he's put on in the month of june uh birdland experience an o's game with the convenience and privacy of your very own suite a variety of affordable single game suites throughout the ballpark are available enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate controlled interior seating a private restroom and comfortable outside seating visit orioles.com suites for more information Well, we are just a few weeks away from the baseball draft and one of the people in charge of it under the general manager, Michael Elias for the Baltimore Orioles is the supervisor of domestic scouting. In essence, the head of American amateur scouting for the Baltimore Orioles. Brad Selick is with us. Who's been with the organization for over a decade, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start your anticipation now, just a few weeks away from, from showtime for you. You work, I don't know, 365 days to get to this. Place? Where are you mentally right now?
2: Well, right now it's a little bit different than years past, obviously, because of what happened in 2020. I think it's safe to say that no one's uh, expected, obviously, what happened with the pandemic. And we also have had to call a few audibles, like pretty much everyone else in their day to day lives. So, but in terms of where we are right now, rounding the corner, the draft is about a month later this year in comparison to years past. And there's a number of reasons for that. Obviously, MLB wanted to go ahead and create the draft combine, which gives all 30 clubs one last look at these high school players, prominent high school players, and also some college players to talk to them a little bit and also for an on-field workout. So in terms of preparation, it is a little bit different than years past. Going back to this process typically starts in the summer. And when we start looking at these guys, uh, the high school players, we call the summer circuit. And that's going into their senior year and we typically have a lot of time to evaluate the college players up on the Cape Cod League and other various summer leagues with the pandemic the Cape League was canceled and we did have a few other summer leagues which we you know scouted as much as we could there was also however covid protocols that were put in place by Major League Baseball which the Orioles adhered to and recommended or recommended those uh, protocols so we did not get out in full force in comparison to what we typically would have been able to do so we made sure out of the gate to hit the road hard and get looks on guys that we typically would have had more history on in the, you know, in the summer months, but basically had to play a little bit of catch up. But uh, fortunately for us, every other club was kind of in the same, you know, in the same boat because they were also adhering to Major League Baseball's policies.
1: Brad, a lot of scouting now is being done digitally, you know, where you watch video and things like that. How much more beneficial is it? to be able to scout people in person and how much of a difference does it make to be there seeing a player as opposed
2: to seeing something uh, done off of a camera? Absolutely. So going back in terms of evaluating players on video, it's something that we do extensively and we were well prepared for that, you know, last draft, when things shut down, we essentially had to go off four weeks of the college season and then evaluate based on those four weeks, just looking at the video. We do have an analyst team that works hand in hand with our scouts and they're stationed in Baltimore, and that's one of their primary responsibilities is looking at the video, talking with scouts, seeing if things stand out metrically or on film, and then getting our scouts' perspectives or asking them to get feedback from those players, whether it's simple changes that they may have made in the box or on the mound, and we kind of go from there. However, we still do value you know, the grassroots fundamentals of scouting evaluation, having our scouts get to the ballpark early, seeing those guys and how they work between the lines, whether it's in BP, IO, early work talking to their coaches and other people around the ballpark and getting to know these players, you know, um, in terms of on a personal level. So there still is a lot of value in regards to both. And, you know, we rely heavily on our scouts opinion, not only what they see in terms of makeup, but also between the lines and, you know, overall their abilities in terms of what makes up a prospect.
0: Brad, from a broader perspective, just a few weeks out, your sense of the depth of this draft both from, you know, rounds one and and to the deep side of it. And also just, you know, first round caliber. Like those two things are typically what people want to know. Is this a good first round as far as the you know basic projections of it?
2: In terms of comparison years past, I would say it's it's a deep class. But with that said, in previous drafts, there were kind of more consensus, you know, number one guy. Whereas in this class, there really isn't. Uh, I'm sure you guys are following a lot of the mock drafts that are coming out from various publications and what it's more or less kind of what we've been hearing around the game, that there's not a true number one overall consensus player. So it should be pretty interesting to see how things shake out. I think in terms of the strength of this class is certainly the high school demographics, particularly high school shortstops. There's a number of high school shortstops that are projected to go in the top 10 overall selections. And there's also high school shortstops that, you know, a lot of clubs like, throughout the draft in the top three to four rounds that are getting a lot of attention. So in terms of a certain demographic, I would say that there's a lot of high school middle infielders that are catching a lot of attention of major league evaluators.
1: How risky is it to take a chance on somebody who is, let's say a high school shortstop, because you, you pointed it out. Those are some of the, the top names, the, the very head of the mock drafts, but how tough is it to, to pull the trigger on somebody who's maybe 18 years old playing high school and hasn't seen the level of competition, say somebody who's playing in the SEC.
2: It's very difficult. And I'm glad you actually asked that. It's it's one of those things I think sometimes that get lost in translation. Yes, we are evaluating the player, the, the abilities between the lines, but it also comes back to point blank, we're also talking about a 17, 18 year old kid. You know, if we were to go back and look at ourselves at that age, I think we would both or most of us would agree that we're not the person that we are today. So the first and most important thing is we have to make sure that if we are going to invest in a you know a young man that's 17, 18 years old, is that we are convinced in the maturity aspect and that they'll be able to handle the day ins and outs of pro baseball. They're going to be able to handle the failure because as you mentioned, Jeff, you know, these guys have not played this level of competition at this point. So there is going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be some failures and some setbacks, and we have to make sure that they're mentally prepared and tough enough to handle those setbacks. So, There is a level of risk, but with that said, if you do your due diligence, do your homework, you know, the one guy I think Orioles fans are, you know, very familiar with is Gunnar Henderson. He was uh, a young shortstop out of Selma, Alabama, who we scouted extensively. And we felt that the tool package and the makeup were off the charts on him. We felt very comfortable taking him, you know, on the top uh, 41st selection of the 2019 draft. So there is a level of risk. There always is with high school players in comparison to college players or their college peers, I should say. But it all just goes about the process and the work that you put in. And at the end of the day, if you know, our scouts feel very comfortable with it and the front office feels comfortable with it, we're not afraid to shy away from those guys.
0: Brad, from a scout's perspective and from your perspective, when we look back at your last few drafts five, ten years from now, will you take more pride in hopefully – and Adley Rutschman, who has, you know, five all-star appearances, or Gunnar Henderson at 41, or would it be a, you know, maybe one day a J.D. Mundy, who's right now was a free agent pickup, not drafted last year, who's moving up very quickly all of a sudden, and maybe one day he's a big leaguer. Is there one that, like, you look back and say, I'm really proud of that pick, maybe beyond the obvious ones?
2: That's a great question. I think more importantly, you know, what would really be great in just an overall sense of feeling of a sense of accomplishment is just ultimately having guys that contribute in the major league roster and get us back to the postseason whether it is a JD Mundy or more recently guys we've taken in the past such as Cedric Mullins and John Means who weren't exactly guys that were talked about as terms of impact prospects when they were drafted but clearly what they've done up in Baltimore is pretty exciting so for me Obviously, would love to have all those guys get there, and it's it's a difficult road. But I think overall, I think just having a good core of players, regardless of where they're selected, and just being able to contribute at the major league level is what I would take pride in. And hopefully, you know, we will get to that point. There are some guys that are doing you know playing well now that were selected in the past few drafts, and you know, it's it's hard not to get excited about what's going on in Bowie, Aberdeen, Delmarva, and hopefully, they'll continue to trend the right direction and get there sooner rather than later. Right. In the
1: minor leagues, especially at Bowie, they've got two really good pitchers there who everyone's hopeful are going to be at the very front of a major league starting rotation at some point. But as we know that there's a certain level of risk to, to drafting a pitcher really high. And there are a couple of, of big names and guys like Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, who, you know, the mocks have at the, the top of these different drafts. Now, Maybe not asking you specifically about either player, but what's the level at risk? of taking somebody who's a college pitcher, knowing the development track, you know, sometimes can be a little bit bumpy and how sometimes tough it is to, to get somebody who's a college pitcher or a high ranking pitcher all the way through your system, dealing with some injury risks and some, some other adjustments that they've got to make.
2: It's also a great question. And yes, it it can always be a risky endeavor taking a pitcher, especially high up in the draft where the bonuses amounts are significantly higher. However, I would probably just have to go back. And again, I, we really believe in our process. It's, it's very similar in a lot of ways in terms of evaluating high school players, but in terms of different avenues. So I'll go back and mention our analyst team. We have about five analysts that work with myself and our front office year-round on the amateur side. And they look extensively not only at guys' you know, pitch metrics and how the repertoire plays, but also their mechanics. We've also done extensive work with our player development department and just kind of streamlining what we're looking for in terms of, you know, an efficient delivery and basically something that is good ball play for our development department to get their hands on and mold into whether it's a starting pitching prospect or a power relief arm out of the pen. So there is a heightened level of risk, but the one thing that I think that we do a really good job of to the best of our ability, I should say, is taking all of those variables into account and making the most informed decision. And like you said, uh, unfortunately, sometimes these things do happen. But as you guys can you know can see, injuries are unfortunately rampant all over the game, whether it's the major league level, minor league level, those things just happen. So, but we do the best we can, and all fats, is that. And we also try to be very thorough in our medical review process as well.
0: Brad, take us in the room on draft night for the first round. And unlike the last few years, you have to wait a little longer this year as opposed to having a year to figure out adley rutchman or bobby Wood jr or whomever or uh, last year to wait one pick take us in the room who's there and how does that process work and i am sure there's some calls to the accounting department and to uh and to agents and stuff like that but tell us about how that show goes down
2: sure well last year was a little bit different because we were all drafting from our right. living rooms or uh in my case my office in my basement but This year it's going to be exciting because we'll all be back together in Baltimore. Our scouts will be there. Our analysts will be there. Our front office will be there. Mike Sig, Michael Weiss, one of our analysts will also be there who helps us a lot on the statistics and data front. So essentially it is going to be a little bit different. As you mentioned, Brett, we have to kind of wait and see what happened, what dominoes fall before us. And then ultimately we're going to do the best that we can in terms of trying to take the best player available and then work within the confines of our bonus pool after that point. So It is going to be a little bit different than picking one and two. We're going to have to see what chips fall before us, but we'll be ready either way. Do you like
1: the extra time that you have this year?
2: Uh, You know, I I think we'll be ready, um, regardless whether we were picking one, two, three, four, or five, but I would much rather, you know, in this case, um, I would always be happy to, you know, pick higher in the draft, but um, in this case, I think we would all rather, you know, start picking lower over the next few couple of years. So timing really is an issue. We'll be prepared either way.
0: Unlike the NFL draft, which is seven rounds, plus a smattering of free agents afterwards, the NBA draft, two rounds. I don't know how long uh, the NHL draft is, but this is such a different kind of process. And not every player you pick even decides to play professionally right out of the gate. And, and I know you're dealing with bonus pools and things like that. I'm not going to quiz you, Brad, but if I threw out like, player 1050 on the board right now, like could, could you, are those names all running through your head at this point? Are you, could you visualize every one of these players potentially?
2: I wouldn't say I would be able to visualize every single player we have on our board right now. We're kind of getting the point of building out our board. We're having meetings daily. Uh, Actually we have a meeting later this evening after the games here in Cary. So we are starting to build it out and that's more or less just kind of information gathering stage. Letting individuals share their opinions, share what data we have on them, figure out what we need, you know, what's left for us to get an idea of what, you know, where this per, where this player fits for us in the grand scheme of things. But as time goes on, I have a very good feel for, I would say, probably the top three rounds of the draft. And then that's where our analysts, our scouts, our cross checkers kind of come in and more or less help us build out the board. All right, Last one for me. I think everybody views the draft
1: for the Orioles right now, given where they are in their rebuild process, as a Super Bowl, so to speak. Um, how much pressure does somebody in your role feel, realizing that the spot that the organization is in, and to to make sure that you're you're making the right picks? How much more pressure do you feel, given where the organization is now?
2: To be honest, Jeff, you know, as you mentioned, this is kind of a Super Bowl for us every year, um, even going back to when the club was playing well and, you know, making postseason runs back when Dan and Buck were here. But in my opinion, you know, I feel confident. I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of pressure just because I feel with every draft we've been prepared since I've been here and more or less stick to your process. And you just have to unfortunately see what happens. That is the one unfortunate thing about, you know, the Major League Baseball draft is a lot of these guys take time to develop and get there. And as Brett mentioned, you know, a lot of Fans don't get to see these guys, at least on the on the pro side, or I guess say the upper levels on the major league level until three to four years down the road or sometimes longer for those high school prospects. So I wouldn't say there's a heavy amount of pressure, particularly on one person, but we do know how important this is. And we've been working hard at it and we're excited to line them up here and start picking them in a few
3: weeks from now.
0: Two quick ones for me, Brad. And one, we're gonna have Michael Elias on our next episode. I'll ask him this tune And I was at an event with him where he was explaining this. I do think there's a misconception. When you go, quote, under slot early in the draft, that somehow that money is disappearing. Instead, it's a cap system for the draft and the money's reallocated. But can you explain the strategies involved?
2: Sure. I think the best way to describe it, Brett, is ultimately you want to pick the guy that you believe and feel is the best player with your first overall selection. Now, there are some situations where you might be able to save some money and then reallocate it throughout the draft. If you go back to our first you know, draft, we we took Adley and then went ahead and went a little bit over slot on Gunner to make sure that we got him in black and orange, whereas last year we went ahead and had a trickle-down savings approach. So ultimately how we plan for it is to have a, a wide range of scenarios, and depending upon how we feel, you know, who the best player is for our first overall selection, it kind of gives us, you know, I guess a roadmap or path forward on what we want to do in the remaining selections. Uh, prior to that in 2018, you know, we had some money to go ahead and, and get Blaine Knight in the third round. And we had some money that we were able to save up and sign him out of Arkansas. And he was projected to be a first round pick. So it really just depends ultimately what you decide to do with that first pick and or first couple of picks, I should say, and then you adjust and, you know, do the best you can to get the most talent possible.
0: And then last one, after you pop the champagne cork when it's over, how how, how quickly do you have to move on to next year's draft? Because summertime baseball is so important for evaluation.
2: Yeah, and that's the one thing that's been a little bit different than years past. So right now, the Cape Cod League just started a couple days ago. We actually have an underclass tournament here in Cary that's been playing before the the present draft class uh, at USA Baseball Complex. So right now, we already have some scouts that are working on the 2022 draft while also still juggling, you know, the 2021 stuff, things that they need to take care of their guys and players in their area. And we also have the trade deadline coming up on July 31st. And a lot of those guys are also doing some pro work. So needless to say, it's a little bit different this year. It's a little bit of a juggling act, but so far so good. We've got guys in the right spots and we'll be ready for whatever, you know, comes our way, obviously the draft in a few weeks. And then shortly after that, the trade deadline.
0: Brad Selick, we really appreciate it. We know how busy you are right now. Best of luck over the next few weeks. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Joe.
1: The best Orioles ticket deals in one place, including single game tickets, ticket packs, special offers, and more. We got you covered at the Orioles ticket marketplace. This is your place to score exclusive deals, so check back often for the latest opportunities. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Ticket prices are the same at Orioles.com slash tickets to purchase.
0: All right, Jeff. Steve from sports.com is with us to talk some Orioles brewing down on the farm, some really good things happening below and some teams playing really well Steve thank you so much for joining us you got it good to be back with you guys well let's look at I guess uh some pitchers below and I wouldn't mind actually going away from the obvious for a moment DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez because they're going to get enough attention everywhere I think fans want to hear about some others that are kind of coming along but uh it's been an interesting start to the season for Alex Wells and Zach Lowther Lowther made his big league debut, but he's also been on the shuttle back and forth as yet to kind of get into AAA rotation rhythm. And then Wells was hurt. So where are those two guys right now? Because they were knocking on the door when spring training began.
3: And I think they still are. But, you know, recently the Orioles called Eshelman for that start and not Lowther. And I think the message may have been, we need to let this kid settle in at AAA a little bit. Uh, This back and forth. Uh, we saw it over the years with Kevin Gosman. I don't think it helped him in his early days trying to establish himself in the major leagues. And I think in a perfect world, Mike Elias would have the young pitchers, you know, pitch on full year before he calls on them. But obviously what happened last year with the pandemic and all the innings they need eaten this year, they got to do things not in a perfect world. So long, long answer to saying, I think, Triple-A uh, rotation is going to be exciting to watch the next few weeks. Smith, Bradish, Louther, Wells, some of those guys will emerge, I think, to get shots in the second half.
1: What have you been hearing about Kevin Smith, who put pretty impressive numbers up at Bowie before he got promoted to AAA, And he seems like he's a steal from what the Orioles got in that trade for Miguel Castro. Um, but what have you been hearing about Kevin Smith and, and how he's been performing since getting up to AAA?
3: You know, Jeff, he gained a couple ticks on his velocity. He's not a hard, high-velocity guy. You know, uh, they say a couple of years ago he was probably 89-91. Maybe now he's 91-93. There's extra couple ticks, and maybe you touch four or five occasionally, really offset his secondary pitches, which are good. The guy that, that I got convinced to watch Kevin Smith after talking to is Jim Callis. He loves Kevin Smith. When I interviewed him after the trade, he said he loved him better than Peterson on the Mets, who was a higher, you know, high pick, too. Uh, he was surprised the Mets let him go, uh, you know, and he really likes his pitchability. So, um, you know, he made some changes over the offseason, I think, with his body and his delivery to get it more consistent. And, and I think the Orioles really like how he came into this year.
0: Kyle Bradish is already pitching in AAA. You've mentioned him. He came over for Dylan Bundy, among the players who came over for Dylan Bundy. And I know Matt Blood, the Orioles farm director, has told you that Bradish should be mentioned kind of in the same vein as Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. What does Bradish bring to the table? He was so dominant in Bowie, he's now already in AAA.
3: That's pretty high praise, isn't it? And uh, he's not the only one that said that. Bradish really jumped out the Orioles at the alternate site last year. He's one of... Several players who, when that thing was over, they said, we think we really have something here. I think what fans are going to see unique about Bradish is his over-the-top delivery. Go watch highlights of our friend Jim Palmer and Braddish. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to pitch like Jim Palmer, but I'm saying the way he goes over the top like Jim, we just don't see it in the game anymore. We see a lot of three quarters. We see very few over the top. So it's a unique delivery that goes with that talent, which helps him because hitters don't see that. And they said it gives him some natural cut on his fastball. that He doesn't have to work to get it. It's just there. It comes naturally because of the arm slot. So another guy they really like. Got off to a great start at Bowie. Earned a bump up. And, you know, he's trying to make that Dylan Mundy trade look good.
1: Well, we're on the process of talking about AAA. Um, second base production has been a problem for the Orioles this year and Jamai Jones, the offensive numbers for him at AAA have been pretty good, but it seems like there's some questions about him on the defensive side of things playing at second. What are you hearing about Jamai Jones and how he's uh, continuing to work on his second base defense?
3: You know what you said, Jeff, I think he's got to prove to the Orioles <clears throat> that he can handle that uh, and be, you know, quality, competent second baseman. It's still kind of new to him because he was an outfielder for a long time on the farm. They moved him over. So he's still learning and he's still actually getting some starts in the outfield for the tides. I think the Orioles are watching defense closely with Laba, who they got from the Diamondbacks, who's been hitting 400 this year when he plays in AAA a between two teams. Um, we know he didn't have any hits for the Diamondbacks in a few at-bats and uh, Jemai Jones. Uh, you know, and if he could get back off the injured list, let's not roll out
0: Bannon, let's not roll out McCoy. They got some guys there that they can look at. And then finally, Steve, I know it won't be fast enough for some fans, and I understand that because they're anxious and they want to see these young players that we talk about so often get to the big leagues. But the Orioles have been very aggressive, moving players up through the system right now. It doesn't mean they've gone from Aberdeen to Baltimore, but they are moving quickly. Gunnar Henderson played a month, basically, 19 for Delmarva, he's already in Aberdeen. And if you prove you can dominate somewhere, you're going to go up. And they've shown that this year already. They've shown
3: that. We saw movement in late May into early June. I mean, it's really not even 30 days into the minor league season, which began May 4th. And guys were on the move. Some of that, the Orioles have said now, hey, we, we were conservative in some of our placements because we just wanted to see if, if what we thought about that player was true that he would go there and do well, and then we'd bump him. Um, and so uh, there's some of this is age-related. There are some guys, let's be honest, 23, 24, 25, maybe playing a ball, the Orioles say, we got to get on with it. we got to find out whether this guy's in or out of our future. So I like the uh, aggression they're moving players with. When I used that word with Matt Blood in an interview recently, he didn't. he didn't – agree that they're that he they're aggressive he thinks they're just doing what they should be doing you know they're get they're moving on with it they're bumping players and and again age has something to do with it performance has something to do with it and so it's kind of exciting to see movement I think fans love that and most of the guys who've been moved up are showing they can handle it you know we saw Westburg get off to a slow start at Aberdeen and then get it going I think he had eight hits in a four or five game span so it didn't take him long to warm up to that level
0: Steve Molesky from MassinSports.com. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got it, it
1: Hey Birdland, the bird is back and ready to make a special appearance at your next event. Add some Orioles magic to your birthday celebration, wedding or corporate party by booking the bird today. Proceeds benefit the Orioles Charitable Foundation. Book your bird appearance today at Orioles.com/slash bird. And by the way, Brett, because I didn't do this on Sunday, and I know that it's a belated one, but happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Brett. Happy birthday to you. You got well, to th- spend a day with me and the big dad. Oh. That yeah, that's, was a great day. That's, that's, I, a, that's, a fun, that's a fun way to spend a, a birthday. I think you probably had it. was birthday. a little bit better for you on, on Saturday when your whole family
0: was there. It was a great birthday weekend. I appreciate that. And someone said they I got an email from someone saying, I didn't know it was your birthday, but the mass and cameras found you and we're talking about it. And <laughs> I know they found me on the Jumbotron as well. But thank you for that. And Jeff, you have a big birthday coming up. I cannot reciprocate by singing you happy birthday. No one wants to hear that, but an early happy birthday to you and uh, great stuff with Brad Selick and and Steve Molesky quickly on Selick and the draft. And Mike Elias is going to be our next episode of inside the yard. So uh, mark uh, that on your calendar, but you know, I know fans are thinking rocker lighter, rocker lighter one. They may not be there. They may be there five. We have no idea. Lighter certainly made a case for himself. I know a few days ago uh, in the college world series, But those are the two most obvious people because they're the two that are at the most uh, well-known program, the two best pitchers of that program. People have seen Rocker for years now, and they've kind of just been those guys where people expect them to be in the top of the draft. And, And there just is this issue, I think, for a lot of teams when it comes to drafting college pitchers. And you hit on that with Brad Selig.
1: It's just so much in the way of risk because of workload management. And it's great for somebody like a rocker or lighter because they're pitching in the sec. If you do well there, that's a pretty good barometer in terms of competition you're facing. It doesn't get any tougher than that. And to put those guys in a national platform and to have them being in the college world series and things like that, having that kind of level of experience, especially when you're going to be going into places like, you know, new Yankee stadium and Fenway park and, you know when you're going to all these different ballparks and being able to you know to take a look around and see all those people there um, and to be able to adjust to that I, I think there's something that goes into that along with the advanced competition that you're going to be seeing but you know developing pitchers is something that hasn't been easy and if you take a look at the way that the Orioles have drafted these these last couple of drafts I mean last year for instance you, you took only one pitcher Carter Baumler, and that was it and taking pitchers is inherently risky uh, because pitchers are tough to develop and it's why a lot of clubs go with the position players and and i think we've seen the orioles you know do that number one because it's just been that's where a lot of the great players have been um the other reason is you're trying to add some of that to your system because they they are still trying to catch up in terms of of depth in that in that respect um, but it also if you if you pick a bunch of those players then some of them will reach the major leagues but the other part of it too is you might be able to use some of the position player depth that you have to maybe go out and get somebody who is an already established major league pitcher when you're there to compete and when you're ready to go. And that's, that's, I think the move that a lot of these teams make is because if you're going after somebody who's a known commodity, that's a lot safer bet. um, than taking a chance on somebody who you're, you're not sure exactly what you're going to get. And there've been plenty of, You know, college pitchers that have been drafted early, guys like Justin Verlander, who've had Hall of Fame caliber careers, even high school pitchers. You know, the Orioles just saw Zach Ranke the other night, a guy that has put a Hall of Fame, you know, career together um, and is pitching with the Astros right now. So sometimes you're going to take a chance on a pitcher and it's going to end up working out. um, But sometimes you're going to have, you know, things come along where injuries are going to be in there and they're not going to perform quite the way that you want to. Uh, Position players, there's just, I think, it's a little bit easier because with pitcher injuries and especially the length that pitchers are going nowadays, a lot of max effort deliveries and things like that, um, taking pitchers is risky. And while I think Lighter and Rocker are pretty special guys and, and they're a little bit different than um, just your typical run of the mill type of pitcher, um, th- there is a serious evaluation, I think, that goes into play um, when you consider the risk factor. Um, of taking somebody like that. And also there's there's the the part of that that there's a risk when it comes to taking a high school player. Um, but at the same time, you look at some of the, the guys atop the mocks as some some high school shortstops. And while I'm sure um, they're, they're going to be some of those guys that, that can play and that can, can do really good things, um, there is no consensus number one this year. And if you look at some of the guys rated at the top, um, you know, high school and pitchers or, or, or risks that you have to you have to factor in and you just hope that if you do take one of those um, that you're making the right selection
0: and we'll get into this next week when Michael Elias joins us but a lot of mocks have the Orioles taking the best college hitter who by the way is also a catcher that would be interesting but as Michael Elias said the other day to Birdland members the Orioles had Matt Wieters They had a chance the next year to take Buster Posey and someone in the organization said that would be a bad idea because we already have Matt Wieters. Well, there's other positions to play. There's also this thing called a designated hitter. And that is something that is interesting. Now I'm not sure how Orioles fans would react to Henry Davis out of Louisville being picked at five, but he's the best hitter in college baseball. He's at a premier conference in the ACC and he had about 400 this year. So that's something to think about. We'll get into that next week with Mike Goliath. But thank you so much for being with us on this edition of Inside the Yard. Brad Selick was great. Steve Molescu was great. And Jeff, we'll see you at the ballpark. And uh, we'll talk soon.
1: All right, partner. We will catch you soon. And enjoy yourself while uh, you're
0: away. Yeah. Back, uh, back tomorrow. Back this morning on Thursday uh, for a four-game set, Orioles and Blue Jays. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Thank you so much for joining us Inside the Yard.